Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Winningham. Now that you found us, make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. You can find us on about 12 different platforms, including Spotify. If you prefer to get your podcast there, uh, that's a good place to get us. Also, type in Five Reasons Sports to that podcast provider and you will get all 15 podcasts in our network, that includes Miami Heat Beat. They'll have an episode with Mike Biamonte, the uh, the PA guy for the Miami Heat. That's actually going to be coming out on Wednesday. Three yards per carry, breaking out the latest on Brian Flores and his staff. Also, check out a new episode of Goldie on Ice. The Panthers, after losing, what was it, seven or eight straight, Chris? They've seven now won. Seven in a row, yeah. Seven in a row, and now lost three in a row. They are positioning themselves to be one point out. One point, one three in a row. I'm sorry. Uh, they're positioning themselves to be one point out of the playoffs when it <laughs> ends. Yeah, uh, totally their usual games in hand dance that they've started already at this stage of the season. So check out that one. And also new episodes of Swings and Mishes and the Fish Tank this week. The Fish Tank uh, is a favorite of mine, Harvey Green, who was the lead PR guy for the Dolphins media relations for about 30 years. Uh, he knows where everybody is buried, and he uncovered a few in this episode. I listened to it this morning, so make sure. You check that out. All right, we're going back to the NBA today, and we are bringing someone back for a second time. I think this is only our. I think this is only the third person we brought, but now maybe four. Right, uh, Chris Perkins, George Sedano, uh, Manny Navarro, and now Vinny Goodwill. We have a reason to bring him back, though. He's got a new gig. He's now working over at Yahoo Sports. He's a national NBA writer. He's now based in New York. He's moved from Detroit and Chicago. He's come a little bit closer to us. Vinny, thank you for joining us this morning. Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, do I get like a two-minute drop from since you guys are doing, uh, you know, the Miami Heat guy soon? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to just shout, you're gonna shout Dos Minutos at the end of the do, podcast? Do, dos yeah. Yeah, what, what, yeah. What's your feeling, Vinny, on, on Biamonte? Because I know there's some, there's some curmudgeons in the national media. Um, I believe Ken Berger was one. I, th- I think my friend Howard Beck was another. Not a fan of the in-game entertainment at, uh, at Heat Games. Uh, wh- where do you come down on this? See, here's the thing. I lived in Detroit for a number of years where mm. John Mason is the PR guy. So, I mean, the PA guy. So I can't say, well, I like Mason, but I don't like this guy, that guy. I'll tell you the guy that I don't like, which is why Howard Beck can't say anything. The Knicks guy. Who needs to give out the score when the score is everywhere around freaking Madison Square Garden? I'd rather have a guy being funny or a guy being entertaining, but just loud, than a guy telling me something that I already know. Wait, so after every so after every basket, he gives out the score? Yes, like every second of not even every second basket. It's probably like three out of five. He gives out the score. I don't need to hear the freaking score. I like it. I like how NBA writers that travel across that, that travel across the country have thoughts on the on like the mundanities of NBA arenas, like just like like the details that you experience every night that you guys have strong opinions on this. It's one of my favorite things about NBA writing. We'll get into some of your other visits here as we go. We want to go through some NBA topics 
here with Vinny. Well, let's start as we always start here on the podcast when we have national writers on, which is kind of the big picture view of the heat because we're, we're kind of lost in, in the forests here a little bit. We're basically watching a team death march to 41 and 41. Like it makes no difference which of these flawed players that he plays more minutes than others. They're going to end up 41 and 41 and probably a seven seed in the Eastern Conference. But what's kind of your take on it? And also you covered Dwayne in Chicago, know him well. So just curious what you think about the way that he's played this year. Well, I will say this, guys. That team is wasting a prime view of great Eric Spolster coaching. <laughs> he is put. He is masterful right now, and I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's doing with so many players of like talent. It's really difficult to say, you know, Deion Waiters shouldn't play as much, you know, once he gets himself, you know, into shape, or Kelly Olynyk, and you know, Bam Adebayo, and you know, Hassan Whiteside. It's something like two sides of the same coin and you're trying to figure out what guy on a given night is going to give it to you, what best, you know, three, four man combination is going to give it to you. It just seems like they have so many, so many players of similar talent that you don't know what you're going to get on a nightly basis. And I think Spolster probably should be in the running for coach of the year because I look at that roster and I don't see, you know, the ceiling for it, which is why I was really surprised that they didn't make a genuine run. Uh, at Jimmy Butler when he was really available before he went to Philly just to sort of balance out the roster and to do what Pat Riley loves to do, which is go get a star and start building. Yeah, and to to me, the thing that we kind of failed to talk about when uh, Justice Winslow was really going on that run, and I don't, I don't want to say that run is no longer happening just because he had a bad game against Boston, but the one thing that we didn't talk about is kind of the ingenuity of, I mean, uh, there were some, some in the fan base, including some people uh, that worked for us that were calling for the idea of Justice having the ball in his hands more and operating as more of a point guard type, but... But the ideas that are coming from Eric Spolster to try and make this work on a night-to-night basis. But really, ultimately, I agree with Vinny, which is you don't know. And and he was lamenting after they beat Boston at home. Uh, the, he was lamenting, well, why can't I get these kind of night-to-night performances where I know who my guys are going to be. I know, you know what I'm going to get out of my team on a night-to-night basis. But that's just the nature of this lack of talented roster is that those guys are going to change on a night-to-night basis. Justice Winslow can go from giving you a double-double with assists, which a lot of people wouldn't have expected, to one for five with eight points. Like, like he, he, can, he can go from those kinds of performances because he's just not a good enough player to deliver night to night. In the Boston game away, it was Deion Waiters who was really good, who had 18 points on 8 of 16 from the floor and a plus 21. So it just you don't know who's going to be good on a night-to-night basis. And that is how you get to, for me, the thing that just jumps out about this team is that they, their, their waves were more pronounced earlier in the year where they lost seven out of nine then they won five in a row to kind of get back into the 500 range but here are their results since boxing day loss win loss win win loss loss win win loss loss win loss like that is who they are they are a team that cannot deliver on a night-to-night basis because they don't know who their best five guys are they don't know who's going to be good on any given night and when they find the nights where they do know who's going to be good they can go on and win but like in the boston game where your starting lineup gives you nothing you're going to lose well my my thing is this, and, and then, and I'm sure Ethan has his own thoughts, but I'll say this, guys. Did you guys expect Dwayne Wade to be this good this year? No. No, I didn't. Not after, no, Vinny, not after he basically, you know, didn't decide until the last minute. Like, I, my, my thing with him this summer was if he had sort of mentally checked out to the degree that he was seriously thinking about retiring, I didn't know that he would, A, get himself in the physical shape he needed to get into, but also in the emotional shape. 
that he needed to get into. And particularly because it has been an emotional season for him. And, you know, look, the birth of his daughter and everything else that's happened this year. I didn't anticipate him playing at this level. But now, Vinny, they kind of have an issue because, I mean, they have eight guards. (laughs) And and this is, you know, you talk about you talk about like sort of like talent. It's also like positions like I mean, Riley has thrown together a roster where he's got three bigs. Um, I was looking at some of the numbers. Kelly Olynyk is part of uh, three of the Heat's top four three man combinations this year. And he doesn't play anymore. I mean, hardly plays. OK, he's playing, you know, a dozen minutes a night lately. Um, you know, and if, if you look at their top three man combinations, like their top ten uh, three man combinations, they're all completely different. And that gets back to Chris's point that like, you know, fans are calling for whoever doesn't play the night before. Right. Every time the Heat lose, it's OK. Spolster should have played this guy. But when you're just substituting one B minus player for another B minus player, there's no way to guarantee what that player is going to give you. There's no combination they can go to. They have no identity in terms of roster combinations. Part of that is Spolster's pulling guys in and out. But part of it is there's nothing that works for very long. But uh, on the Dwayne thing, I want to sh- uh, shuffle back to this with you because you did cover him uh, the year in Chicago. I was curious sort of what you thought of the reaction to him in Chicago the other night, because my experience covering games in Chicago before he became a bull was that that was one of the roughest atmospheres in the NBA for him. I remember when he was going through his divorce and some of the things that were shouted from the crowd at him and all the rest, like I thought it was a, a bottom five atmosphere for Dwayne being back in Chicago all these years. Were, were you, uh, were you surprised that they embraced him to the degree that they did the other night? I was completely shocked because and, and I thought it was almost going to be worse given the year that he had in Chicago and some of the controversies that went on between he, Jerry Butler, Rajon Rondo, and the way everything sort of played out. I didn't think he would get that warm of a reception. And you got to think, Chicago has a history of eating its young, whether it's Dwayne Wade, whether it's Derrick Rose, whether it's, you know, you go back and it's Isaiah Thomas, Jabari Parker's there. Now he's not, you know, he was public enemy number one. You know what I'm saying? For a short period of time Jim before Williams. he turned himself in, in, in the sympathetic figure. You know, so I I was really shocked about the reaction. And I was more shocked about Dwayne's appreciation for it. I didn't think that that would get to him because he sort of mo- motioned to me. You know, we were in Detroit together. He motioned to me that, you know, I got sort of Chicago out of my system. You know, I played there for a year. And I think in a way he was saying bad taste in my mouth, that type of thing. But to see, I think because his mother was there, his sister was there, you know, Gabrielle was there. I think it meant a little bit more to him than he realized. I think a little, it meant a little bit more to Chicago than, than even the city realized. So I was glad that that almost seemed to be like a healing process there. You know, even if he, you know, never plays there again and everything else, it never even comes to a game again. I feel like there was sort of a healing there, and I think it was really positive and constructive for Dwayne. Yeah, he's kind of he's leaving the NBA on a bunch of positive notes when uh, the last couple of years have been obviously pretty filled with turmoil. I mean, outside of uh, the moment when he gets traded to Miami, I was listening to him talk uh, yesterday on the Winging It podcast with Kent Bazemore and Vince Carter uh, about his experiences in Cleveland, and 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 I would, it just sort of like I had forgotten it already that that he went through you know he went through a team that eventually went to the finals and he had to leave midseason. 
season because he was going to be benched. And, uh, and and the Chicago situation deteriorating where, you know, I've heard, and, and Vinny, I don't know if, you're, if your reporting is in line with this, but it was basically Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade against the rest of the locker room and that his teammates didn't really like him very much. And it, those are just things that aren't really associated with Dwayne Wade in Miami. And so the fact that now everything is kind of, uh, it, it's like a TV show in its final season where all the loose ends are being tied up. Uh, it, it definitely feels that way across the league where I think, and, and in some respects, this is kind of, you know, what happens. I, it, this is sort of the death of his career. And so uh, the, it's really about the positive feelings that get accentuated more. Obviously, when someone dies, you, you don't talk about the negative things in their life. You talk about the positive things. And I think that is kind of what's happening here where he's retiring. It's over. I'm not going to hold on to this animosity anymore. And so I'm going to have a little bit of a more positive feeling about it. I feel like that's generally the case around the league. So you mean to tell me, and speaking in terms of like TV series finales, that Dwayne Wade is going to go black? And then the screen is going <laughs> well, to yeah, come yeah. back, I, I and, mean, and I, nobody's going to know what happened? Right. I mean, it won't, it won't quite feel like the cable box being unplugged, but uh, it'll, it'll feel like something similar. <laughs> I like well, the well, Sopranos well, reference, Vinny. That's good. Uh, thanks hey, for that. Hey, black guy who's seen the Sopranos ending, but has never seen another episode before. Boom, add that in there. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I, I saw the second to last episode and the last episode and, and nothing else. So oh my I, God, the I, two I, of I, you. I get the reference without, without having seen oh, the show I mean, either. Wait, wait a second. Hold on. A second. All right, wait. wait. We're going to stop the NBA <laughs> podcast. There. So between the two of you, you've seen three total episodes of The Sopranos? That is correct. All right, let's, let's go through this now. The Wire? Uh, I, I've, I've not seen an, a, a second of The Wire. How is that possible? You're like I, I, I never got around to it. It's like the most intelligent show that's ever appeared on TV. Vinny, you've seen The Wire, right? I've seen the first three seasons. After the after the last episode of season three, I was so emotionally drained, I couldn't get to season four. I season four. Season four was pretty good. Se- season season two was kind of a wash. But okay, Game of Thrones. Not not never. a second. Not a second, and never and never will. I'm a never will on Game of Thrones. Well, well, now, why is that? It's too dorky for you. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just like I, I'm just not interested in the genre. I, I'm just I'm not I'm not interested in you know like that whole like I don't want to say fantasy, but just sort of the the like just in general. I, I, if you pitch the show to me, I'm it's just not for me. Breaking Bad. I, I, this is the one that I'm most embarrassed about. Nope, I I have not started that on Netflix. Vinny. Uh, ditto. <laughs> we are the worst, Vinny. My God. Oh my I, I mean, God. How, like how the, deep like the all of the five best shows in the last fifteen years, and we haven't watched any of it. Oh my God. Oh boy. All right. Are you both watching too much NBA? I guess. I, I don't know. I, the, the Sopranos one surprises me a little bit, but but the the no Breaking Bad and no Wire. Vinny, seriously? Jonathan Abrams wrote a book about the Wire. That that's a great point. But you guys think I was stuck watching bad basketball for a decade? I'm I'm basketball <laughs> Kardashian. <laughs> I, I turned the Pistons from a from a top level organization to a team that has not won a playoff game in ten years. The Bulls were not certainly a bastion of organizational excellence, but they certainly went from a team who had drama and winning to a team that had drama, punches, and losing. And now I'm just covering the league, so basically everything's going to turn to SHIT at the end of this. I want to introduce you to one of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Brunt Insurance, where you can find all of your protection. Under one roof, they offer home, auto, commercial, and life insurance, and they're licensed to write insurance for the entire state of Florida. That's Pensacola all the way to the Keys. They've got multiple carriers for all the product lines. Ensure you're paying the lowest rate in your area. And I can speak to this personally because I sent Greg Brunt 
all of my insurance policies that I had with other companies. He came back to me, said, well, one of them you're doing okay, so just keep that one where it is. But I had one for a condo and I had one for my cars. And he said, in both cases, I could be doing better. He saved me $700. Took one phone call, 15 minutes. I don't want to use 15 minutes because somebody else uses that. It took 14 minutes. And he got all of that stuff taken care of uh, for me. So check out bruntinsurance.com. That's bruntinsurance.com. Greg's also a proud sponsor of the Homes for Heroes program. That means if you're a first responder, teacher, military, or healthcare professional, you'll get a special discount from bruntinsurance.com. Here's the phone number if you prefer to do that, 954-589-2204. Let's get back to it here. Uh, and I want to throw one more at you, you know, related to uh, the Bulls, because one of the things that always comes up down here in Miami is this idea of whether or not the Heat should at some point tank. Um, clearly, that hasn't happened this year. They had a four and two road trip. They decided to push forward. They haven't made a trade yet. Uh, you know, they've got, again, 12 players that are exactly the same in terms of skill level on the roster at this stage. And they're going to be somewhere between six and 10 in these. The Bulls have gone totally the other direction. I mean, is it intentional? tanking on their part or are they just such a freaking dumpster fire that it's turned into this the latter because i firmly believe that they thought they would be challenging for an eastern conference playoff spot this year now i also believe that it was in the plan to fire fred hoiberg very early and insert jim boylan as the interim coach except he's turned himself into gene hackman Hoosier, who decides <laughs> to make his players do you know push-ups and pull-ups after, you know, every bad mistake or something. Like, like that, that is so, like, ass-backwards to me, like what the Bulls do and how they do it. What I will say is this. They were so happy that they chose a path. Like, they said, well, we had Jimmy, we had Blaine, we had Rajon Rondo. You know, we, we're, we're choosing a path to rebuild now, and basically they just want a free pass from the public. Miami is a much different situation because, you have someone who's at least competent in Pat Riley. And I don't think Riles wants to rebuild at this stage of his life. Like, I, I think, I really think there's an element to that where if Riley was 20 years younger, and he was looking at the landscape of the league, and he said, you know what, if I tear it down for a couple of years, we can be right back up either through free agency or the draft or whatever. But I think now, not to say that he's content with just riding it out, but I do think there's an element of I can't do that at this stage of my life and endure that or put people through that, even though I think he would be smart enough to maybe do it for a year and then, you know, clean house and everything up. I think he's that smart of a basketball mind when you, you know, remove emotion from it. I just don't see the sheet doing that. I think they're going to have to basically build from the middle, which is take one of these overvalued assets and flip them into something, whether you're showcasing Hassan Whiteside, whether you're showcasing Kelly Olenek, one of these other guys, you're going to have to flip and turn this into a start, which is why, why once again, maybe it's because of the Tibbs miles compared to the highway miles that Jimmy Butler has on his body. I'm really shocked that they did not go get him when he was available. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of people were. I mean, in some respects, uh, I think the Heat's position on that, I mean, well, I don't even know if they had a position on that. I think it was more uh, Tom Thibodeau ran an incompetent trade process uh, because I, I think what the Heat were offering, uh, you know, according to, to the reporting, was better than what, uh, w w you know, obviously they ended up, what Minnesota ended up getting and what in the end was the end uh, for Tom Thibodeau. But I, I do think that 
this this sort of lack of a push for a superstar when they've been available, whether it's been Kawhi or whether it's been Jimmy Butler in, in most recent times, uh, I think sort of shows an indication of even if the Heat were to try and get one of these guys, they can't present the most attractive offer. I think uh, you know, I, I don't I think the Heat could have you know done better than what uh, Philly ended up doing uh, for Jimmy Butler, but for Kawhi, they, they they just don't have a player like Demar Derozan to anchor a trade offer like that. Uh, I I just don't like to, to me I I and we're, we're going to uh, later in the week uh, do an episode on you know the, you, with the trade machine and trying to figure out what they can do but uh, I think right now they're in a position where the young players that they don't want to get rid of because they value their futures and Richardson Winslow and Adebayo are your most attractive tra- trade pieces that we get would that would get you something back but I think right now if the Heat are in the trade market it's basically to try and get rid of the things that they don't want and there are 29 other teams trying to get rid of the things that they don't want. And not a lot of willing acceptors, again, without taking on something that would that, that would facilitate that trade, like picks, like young players, uh, whereas I, I don't think the Heat are really in a position to give those things up. So just as a team that would try and operate their way out of this, there don't appear to be very many easy ways out, which is why uh, the, the, the failings on the Jimmy Butler thing uh, end up being a pain and, and all these other things uh, that have happened. And now, again, you're looking at a team that's 500 that didn't decide to go the route when there was an opportunity uh, at 11 and 16 to really descend to the bottom. And it was funny that two teams have kind of gone in the opposite direction, which are Miami, and to me the more surprising one is Brooklyn. Uh, the degree to which they've won games uh, since they lost uh, Karis LeVert and looked like they were heading towards being a team that was finally going to be able to use one of their picks in the top eight. Instead, they've gone and won a bunch of games and now are actually ahead of the Heat uh, by th- by three wins uh, in the standings. So it, again, it's just a situation where, and we've talked about this a bunch, where operating out of this doesn't appear to be easy. No, it, it doesn't. And, and what I will say is this, what are the non-negotiables if you are the Miami Heat? You know, what are the players that come hell or high water you're going to hold on to like I'm of the mind that you can't protect everyone like you're going to have to give to get and if it's Justice Winslow or if it's uh, Derek Jones no matter who it is pick them what is bam no matter who it is pick them showcase you know don't showcase them and then do everything else around it but you can't try to figure out who works and who doesn't work like you need to start assigning these pieces but here's the thing there's no sense of urgency you know from Miami right now and I don't feel I never get the sense from Pat Riley or Pat Riley run organization that they will operate out of fear or that they will operate out of panic that's the one credit that I will give them now you could say they've been stagnant but you haven't seen them do anything that will put them in long-term hell. Well, you did a couple of years ago. I mean, I, that's the thing. I mean, they've already put themselves in long-term hell. And long-term is getting shorter-term now because they're about two years away from getting rid of some of these contracts. But, I mean, if you look at the sort of the quartet, you know, of, you know, the, the, the quartet of foolishness, uh, which was one of which I was on board with, which was the Whiteside move. But, but Whiteside, Tyler right. Johnson, Deion Waiters, and James Johnson – I mean, they put them. I mean, I'm watching James Johnson last night, and I'm like, you know, no offense, but like, how did they ever value him as a player worth sixty million dollars? Like, I, like, what was going through Pat's mind? Like with Dion, I can see it, right? Like he gave you moments the second half of that season. He's still a young guy. He's had issues in a couple of places, particularly in Cleveland. Uh, but but look, he has a skill set. Okay, like I mean, he can get to the basket and score. He's not always going to do it efficiently. 
but he can get to the basket and he can score. And so I could see how Pat could get duped by that. But the James Johnson one, man, like seven, seven different teams took a look at him. And, and, and I just what I don't understand is that you talk about Eric Spolster being underrated. Fans down here would not say that. It's interesting. The, the perception nationally is different than it is locally. But sometimes I don't think Pat Riley rates Eric Spolster that high because if I was looking at that situation, I'd be like, look, Spo got more out of James Johnson than anybody else could. Why are we going to pay that much for that? Spo can get that out of somebody else, okay? Or Which he has. I mean, the, he turned Roddy Magruder into a you know, a, a rotation caliber player and Derek Jones Jr. The same, like they've continued to develop guys. And I think they could have continued to develop guys if they held on to their picks. Uh, like, right. like they could, like they'd have, con- they could have continued on a path of being a development team where you continually rotate through players and continually make James Johnson's. Whereas right. instead they decided to pay these guys as if they were, you know, special talents that, you know, were, were unique to a 30 and 11 run that were going to become a 60 win team, which was never going to happen. But yeah. I mean, they they treated James Johnson as if he was irreplaceable. He's just not like yeah. he's just he's just not an irreplaceable player. So I, I just I think they put themselves in that box. I do think now, Vinny, I agree with you. Now they're stagnant because there's no obvious move. And you know, you, you mentioned about Butler. I mean, they went after Butler. I mean, if you if you if you believe the reporting that they offered Richardson Olinick in a first, I mean that's that's a decent offer. I mean, you can make an argument that it's equal to or close to equal to what Philadelphia offered. Um, but they weren't willing to go all the way. They weren't willing to throw Bam in. They weren't willing yeah. to, you know, throw justice. And so I do think there was a point they would stop. I think now they're at the stage that it's just about sort of clearing cap and clearing tax. And so they're going to dump Wayne Ellington somewhere and they're probably, they may dump McGruder to sweeten it. And, you know, but I don't think they're going to get out of any of those big contracts. All right, I want to go no, around no, the. I, I I do want to hit on one thing, and 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 I'll I'll kind of answer your question, Vinny, which is who are, who are you protecting of the young guys? For me, the only one is Bam Adebayo because you still have him uh, for two more years on a rookie salary. Like I actually, I almost wonder, and I I I hadn't, I hadn't sort of uh, thrown this out there, and probably the the Miami Heapy guys would get mad at me, but I almost wonder if maybe this run of Justice Winslow is a sell high run. You 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 take what he's done, he's impressed to around the NBA and you take it as an opportunity to sell high and get something decent for him or have him be the anchor part of a trade package that gets you something a lot better uh, that that or so, I, I want to say a lot better but something with a more proven track record like if I don't think really anyone is untouchable on this roster except for uh, Bam Adebayo whereas I think the Heat's position would be we're not trading Josh Richardson and we're not trading Justice Winslow when I don't think that necessarily that's what their position should be well I would say this I, I would say, be careful not to get seduced by any short run by any individual player the problem with justice winslow is you knew this was inside of him you just didn't know what position it was going to be or when the light was going to come on and you don't want to develop a guy in your system and have him in you know under your your umbrella for a number of years and then trade high and then watch him really blow up like one thing about organizations they fall in love with the draft picks and they want to be right more than they want to get it right. So with, even if it's damn, look, as special as he can be, I would give him up if a team values him higher than I do because you don't want to get stuck when, you, when you're just so in love and so enamored with potential that you wind up skipping on a couple of trades that could bring you in some proven guys who can basically elevate you. You can only have so many guys with upside on your roster. you got to have some performance certainly. And I, I think short of a couple of guys on this roster, they don't have that. No. 
No, they don't. They don't. And I, I think that's a big issue. And we're going to get more into it uh, with the trade machine this week. All right. I'm going to do something with the two of you guys. We're going to try to do this rapid fire as much as we can. We're going to go around the NBA. Then I'm going to ask you Sopranos and Game of Thrones questions. Uh, but we're going to go. We're going to go around the NBA. And what I want you to tell me is, do you think this will be a better playoff team than a regular season team? All right. So we're going to go through some of these uh, teams right now. It, start with the Eastern Conference. Uh, the Bucks, as we speak here, are 34 and 12. Um, shows you what competent coaching can do, I guess, uh, compared yeah. to what they've had the past couple of years. So I'll start with you, Vinny. The Bucks, can they be a legitimate? Can they play as a legitimate number one seed in the playoffs? Do Do you think that this team is cut out to make a deep playoff run? If you're saying legitimate number one seed, that means going to the finals. I don't think they're going to the finals this year. But do I think they can make it to the Eastern Conference finals? Yes, because Philly is combustible and nobody knows what Boston is. I think that's more of a reflection of the competition than it is the quality of the Bucks team or the experience that they have. The, the way they shoot threes in a playoff series, you wonder if that holds. Because that's something that you can scheme and game plan away when you're playing a team, you know, seven times in two weeks. Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, you look at, you know, obviously they're, they're three-point shooters. I mean, uh, Brooke Lopez is their second-best three-point shooter on a volume basis, uh, 38% from three. Again, that's something that if you're a team scheming in a playoff series and you lose to Brooke, Lo Brooke Lopez shooting threes, you, you'll probably live with that. And also, uh, defensively, I imagine he'll be targeted as well in a playoff series. I, I, I do... I, I've really had revised my position on the way that I kind of uh, absorb the regular season versus how teams uh, play in the playoffs. I'm kind of looking for now uh, how players are going to be schemed out, the things that you can do to take advantage of a team's weaknesses. And I think ultimately someone just has to figure out uh, what Giannis Antetokounmpo's biggest weakness is, which is you keep him with, you know, outside of 15 feet, and, and I think you can manage him. And so I, I do wonder uh, if uh, what he does in the regular season, which is still managed to be around the rim so much, even though you don't have to respect his jumper, he's just such a freakish athlete that you're not going to keep him out uh, of the painted area. They've got the best point differential by a sizable margin. I think they can get to the finals because, like, if you're telling me Milwaukee's playing Toronto in a seven-game series, they're playing Boston or Philly in a seven-game series. I'm not going to say that they won't win, but I'll be curious to see once teams start picking on their weaknesses, what they look like. We'll get back to our episode here in a second. The first one to tell you about another of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Berlitz Broward. You may be familiar with the Berlitz method of teaching languages. I can speak to it directly because about a year ago... Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. 
My daughter was about three and a half years old. I put her in Berlitz Broward. This is over on Flamingo Road in Pembroke Pines because we wanted her to learn Mandarin. She already knows English and Spanish fluently, but kids have an easier time learning languages at times than adults do. So we figured that she might enjoy it. Not only does she now enjoy it, she now counts up to 100. She knows all the colors and shapes. When we go to Chinese restaurants, she speaks Mandarin with the waitresses she orders for us. Sometimes not the greatest, but it's pretty amusing to actually watch it. But the other thing that Berlitz does for you is they have adult programs. And so that's actually what we want to introduce you to today. Their adult programs, they teach languages English, French, Spanish, Mandarin, Italian, German, Portuguese, and more. So if you ever wanted to learn any of those languages, or maybe English is not your first language and you want to learn how to pronounce better and be better in the business space, that's something that they can work with you on. So I'm going to give you a phone number here. Make sure that you call and mention five reasons. Here is the phone number, 954-743-0077. So again, they have kids programs, but they got plenty of adult programs. And I can tell you because we've been doing it, they will work with your schedule. Whatever works with you, in terms of when you have to work, when you've got things with your family, they will put you on the schedule and they will get you the right instructor. So again, mention five reasons, 954-743-0077. All right, let's go to Toronto. You mentioned them. It's actually kind of a tie for first right now, even though uh, the Bucks are a game ahead. Vinny, Kawhi for DeRozan, because the issue all along has been, you know, once you get to the playoffs, that DeRozan and to a certain degree, Lowry have shrunk. Does Kawhi solve that problem for them in the post? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Because you can't stop him from doing what he wants to do. And quietly, he's sort of lessened the dependency on the Kyle Lowry. Now, we can, he, hasn't had, he hasn't had the year that he normally has. But I don't think that's because his game has fallen off. I think that's because Toronto's system has made itself less dependent on Kyle Lowry to be a primetime player. And we went through years where we didn't know. You went to the Heat playoff series where after the bad game one, he was either calling Tyron Lue, who he was going against in the playoff series for advice, or dressing up in a hoodie, you know, shooting around for three hours after a game. Like, I don't know if you can depend on a guy like that, but having Kawhi Leonard there, talk about performance certainty, you know, that's something provided that he's healthy. He's the best player in the Eastern Conference. And the most complete player in the Eastern Conference. So to me, if you have the best player in the conference, you have a shot, a legitimate shot at getting to the finals. And you also have, you know, all-star level player in OG Ananobi. You don't know, I mean, not OG, uh, Pascal Siakam. Like, you have all-star caliber players next to him. And I I, I think Toronto's going to the finals this year. Yeah, I think their frontline talent uh, this year is much better than it has been in the years in which people have kind of talked themselves into them. Last year, they were a depth team where it was guys 6 through 10 that were that were getting them through games. This year, actually, some of those depth players are getting destroyed. Their on-off-court numbers are not good. DeLon Wright and, and you mentioned Ananobi, they're negative double digits in net rating uh, on the year uh, compared to, I mean, Danny Green's a plus 20. For someone to have played so many minutes and be a plus 20, Kyle Lowry's a plus 15. I think Kawhi Leonard, by virtue of missing some games uh, where they've dominated, his numbers don't look as good. But I think when you get into the postseason, uh, it's just it's such a wild card. You'd imagine he'd dial it up. He's still not really playing uh, back-to-backs. He's still, I don't really think, playing at 100% because he's been nursing this injury uh, the entirety of the year. But I just think their front line is so demonstrably changed because... 
you go into those playoff series and Lowry and DeRozan are, are I guess you know maybe in the in the range of you know 15 to 30 of uh, of kind of on their high end of where they rank in the league I don't think you can win in the NBA without at least one if not two top 10 talents and Kawhi Leonard at his best represents that it changes everything like the tier of player that you're going from uh, from Derard, uh, DeMar DeRozan to healthy Kawhi Leonard is it's such a different stratosphere that yeah I don't think you consider what has happened in the last four years uh, with the Raptors in this conversation anymore because you have one of those players now. It was such a great move by Masai Ujiri that you now have the guy that can help you win playoff series. Are the Indiana Pacers the most disrespected team in the NBA right now? Because I don't, we, we never talk about them, right? Even even before, Vinny, you yep. mentioned, you were talking about Toronto and Milwaukee. We're like, well, Boston and Philadelphia have issues. Like, I feel we, we always sort of cycle back to that. Well, if Boston can figure out you know, how to play, you know, five guys at the same time offensively and, and get production. And if Philadelphia can kind of work out their chemistry stuff though, and get, get a couple shooters, those will be the teams to compete with. We never talk about the Pacers. Why? Because Victor Oladipo, you know, even though he had a great season last year, he hasn't necessarily followed that up with, you know, a similar, you know, repeat. And they don't have, they don't have a second guy. Nate McMillan, who I voted for as coach of the year last year, guys, he's an understated type of guy. And I actually talked to the Pacers last week when they were here in New York, and they don't wow you by doing anything. There's no, there's no necessarily any brand associated with them. And the reason I think this year you can't really put them up there in terms of being a playoff, in terms of being a playoff certainty type of performance team, is because where's that second guy that can create his own shot outside the offense? Like we know, not necessarily that the game will slow down in this in this pace and space NBA, but that teams can scheme you out of your own offense. That a lot of times it comes down to who can create their own shot. If you say Victor Oladipo was a top level guy getting his own shot and getting a great shot, where's the next guy? For me, that that's what sort of keeps them from being, you know, talked about in the same vein as a Toronto and a Milwaukee or a Boston. Yeah, I think their bigs are the guys that are in that conversation. But again, uh, you know, in a playoff series, you're asking guys to create their own looks. I don't think Miles Turner and Demonis Sabonis are quite at that stage yet. I think uh, the reason why, if we're, if we're saying we're, why we're not talking about Indiana, is that the way that they do it is just by not playing any bad players. Uh, I mean, you look at their, you know, their, their nine guys that have played at least 800 minutes this year. It's Bogdanovich, Thad Young, Darren Collison, Corey Joseph, Miles Turner, Victor Oladipo, Demonis Sabonis, and Tyreek Evans, and then uh, Doug McDermott is right around that eight, that range as well. They just have a really solid eight-man rotation. They take care of business on a night-to-night basis. Uh, when you compare them, for example, to a Miami they were talking about earlier, they just they win the games that they're supposed to win over and over again. They've won two-thirds of their games. They just do it by being relentlessly solid. And I, I just don't know in a playoff setting if that's something that you're trusting because uh, you look at, uh, obviously, the way that the conference shakes out at the moment, it would be a 3-6 against Brooklyn for them. So I think if they can stay in the top three, they could definitely win a playoff series. But if they're in that 4-5 against either Philly or Boston, I just I, I don't see any – I don't know anyone who would say that Indiana's going to be Boston in a playoff series. They have to finish in that top three in order for them. Because, again, if you just look at it, playing Milwaukee, Toronto, Philly, or Boston, you just don't trust them to beat them in a playoff series. Let's get to the four or five teams. Uh, you guys have both mentioned them. Boston or Philadelphia? Who has a better chance to figure it out? Well, Boston. I, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's Boston. And why? Just because Philadelphia, the three, the top three guys don't mesh all that well or because you're missing a shooter with the Sixers? Well, for me, I think it's because I don't know, I don't know if all three mesh that well. And I have a huge problem with the guy who handles the ball the most, 
not being able to shoot outside of maybe eight feet. <laughs> a lot of people seem to have that issue with Boston, uh, with Philly, don't they? Uh, for me, I think it's just more, as much as we're talking about, obviously the playoffs are won at the top end. I think uh, Kyrie is a top end player. Like I, I, just, I really rate him. Like I really like Kyrie's game in a playoff series, especially, but just uh, more generally, I think Kyrie has made a, lip, a, a leap this year as the leading guy, even as annoying as, as he can be off the floor with all of his comments. Um, I think you, you just look at when he's on the floor, or they're plus 10. Uh, he is, a, to me, a real leading man on a team, whereas I think Philly is trying to figure out what their formula is. And look, obviously, uh, Boston has really struggled with figuring out uh, how to work Jalen Brown, t- uh, Terry Rozier, and Gordon Hayward back in, but they've got a second half of the year to figure that out, figure out uh, how those guys can work, or even if you trade them so you figure out the pieces that do work for it. So I, I just think that it's more about, for me, players 4 through 10 uh, for Boston that are just so far and away better than anything that Philly has. I mean, last night, uh, Philly wins. I mean, they, they're a really good home team. They're 20-5 and five at home, and they beat Houston by a lot last night. But you just look at what they did in the absence of Jimmy Butler. He misses a game, and Corey Brewer is their starting two guard. Like, it's just – it's not a team with any depth whatsoever. And I just don't I, – like, last year they won with Ilyasova and Bellinelli being, being contributors. Obviously, they can go and find those guys again, and maybe they'll be the attractive destination for the buyout guys. But I, I just don't – don't see enough depth there, enough role players, even understanding that their roster isn't done yet. I just don't see enough there. Whereas Boston, if they get those three guys, Hayward Brown and Rozier turned around, we know what they're capable of. Whereas I'm just not relying on TJ McConnell in a playoff series. Like I, I just think Boston has so much more to offer it, it, while having the frontline talent uh, than what Philly has, which is a frontline talent that even though the fit isn't great, their starting lineup plays really well together. It's more about what they have after that. Yeah, there's just no I mean, doubt. I, mean, I was going to say, don't forget this. When you're in the playoffs, you're not playing 10 anymore. You're mm-hmm. basically playing seven and a half, eight, and maybe a ninth guy in the situation, you know what I'm saying, in, in given situations. So Boston has a death problem where basically Brad Stevens is going to have to figure out which guy isn't playing. And I think that may cause some issues that he doesn't want to address right now. But in Philly, who is there? eighth, ninth guy that you can say, you know what, we're going to really depend on you in the playoff series. That will be my problem, you know, with Philadelphia and a relative, you know, lack of experience. They got to the second round last year, but I don't know if they really got a whole lot of experience in that five-game beatdown the Celtics gave Yeah, and I can also see with some of the issues that your buddy Jimmy has had there already that if things don't go well early in a playoff series um, and you've got Embiid popping off and you got Simmons not shooting and all the other things that come with that, like that could get ugly quickly. I, I don't, it, to me, they have to avoid the four or five with, with, with the Celtics. Um, they, they've got to get to three. I, I think, I think if they get to three and then they get a soft first round series, sorry, heat fans and Brooklyn fans, but they get a first, you know, a softer first round series and build a little momentum with that group. Then I think then they move into a series potentially against Milwaukee in the second round, and to me that would be a compelling series. You have two stars going against each other who won't, who can't shoot. Well, one won't shoot, the other can't shoot uh, outside of a certain, you know, <laughs> outside of a certain distance. But I think they need to get to the three. Um, one more on the East here. I'm gonna give you guys a bunch of teams: Nets, Heat, Hornets, Pistons, Wizards. I'll throw in the Magic right now because they're fading, but. Uh, they're, they're still only, I guess, uh, two and a half games out of the eight spot. Which of those teams can put a scare into any of the other five in a first-round series? Which is most likely? 
Brooklyn, to me, Brooklyn, I think, can put a scare into them, even though they're not, they don't have the star power. Uh, I think Levert is going to come back this year. And whether he's good or whether he's like what Hayward is in Boston right now, we're basically just above average, you know, replacement type of player. I think they shoot well enough. And I think they're young enough and energetic enough that when you play hard, I think sometimes that gives you an extra game. I don't trust Washington. I don't trust Detroit. And I kind of trust Miami in the playoff series because Wade can get you a game and Spoke can scheme the hell out of a series. No, I, I don't think I don't think anyone six or below is, is getting past a five-game series. Like, I mean, we saw last year uh, with Miami and Philly. It's basically the same team coming back. I, I don't see Miami uh, giving anyone – I mean, other than Indiana. I think if they played Indiana, they'd give them a go. Um, but I, I, of those teams that just are demonstrably more talented, I don't see uh, Miami taking more than a game off of Milwaukee, Toronto, Philly, or Boston. Uh, Charlotte – I mean, they, they're firing from three so much, and they score at a level that maybe they can take a game. Brooklyn, it's a great story, and what they do is incredible, and D'Angelo Russell has, has taken a step here, but again, uh, not a team that I'm trusting in a playoff. I think anyone six or below. I think the East is really cut and dry. From the second round on, might be the most compelling playoffs we have, uh, but I think that first round is going to be dreadful. All right, guys, let's go to the West here real quick. Uh, you know, it's funny. We're all the talk about Golden State and all the issues that they've had and that they don't like each other anymore and Clay can't shoot and Boogie's just coming back. As I speak here, they're first in the Western Conference um, and they've won eight straight and they're ahead of the Nuggets. So let's go to some of these other teams here. Nuggets, Thunder, Blazers, Rockets. Vinny, do you believe in any of those teams challenging Golden State in a seven-game series? Challenge means pushing to a game six and I can't believe I'm going to say this. So Ethan strike me down in, in May <laughs> when it's active, it doesn't happen. Oklahoma city. And I am a member of the don't trust rough bandwagon that mm-hmm. has been rampant for the past half decade. Like I think there's the one position that you can't play in the league and have, you know, you know such variance in performance from night to night basis, especially it's point guard and Russ is so, so up and down. But the problem is, or at least for the rest of the league, is that they're not as heavily dependent on Russ as they used to be. Their defense is great. And Paul George is playing that against That team is playing more like Paul George is the personality of the team than Russell Westbrook is. So although I'm intrigued by Denver and what they can do, and if Isaiah Thomas comes back and adds a spark and everything else, I'm looking at the defense of Oklahoma City, and I'm wondering if that's something that can carry them through and give Golden State some problems when you hunker down into a seven-game series. Man, their 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 best five guys or, or their or their best four guys are so damn good together. I mean, you look at uh, the on-off court numbers uh, for their best lineups. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, you look at uh, you know George uh, George Westbrook, Adams, and Grant is a plus one ninety-one on the year. They're they're so good together, and yet they're just so short on depth. Like they've just as as much as actually they've spent a ton of money on uh, on keeping Paul George, on keeping Russell Westbrook, on uh, trying to figure out what to do with Carmelo before eventually letting him go. They gave a big money extension to Stephen Adams. 
they've just got nothing after that. You look at the the their top minutes getters. Uh, once you get past Paul George, Stephen Adams, Jeremy Grant, Russell Westbrook, and Dennis Schroeder, uh, who are all who have all been decent. I mean, it's Terrence Ferguson, Patrick Patterson, who has fallen off a cliff. Uh, Nerlens Noel, who's a negative thirteen on the year. Alex Sabrinas, who basically has to make four threes to have any have any value, and then it only goes downhill from there. They just don't have enough after that. I think on a front line basis, like they'll limit that rotation of six or seven guys and and give it a go in a playoff series. But they're just a man or two short. Um, I I still think it's Houston, and I think what James Harden has put together recently uh, with a healthy Chris Paul coming back with. Jeff Bizdella coming back and kind of sorting out that defense a little bit and, and maybe them making some some additions now that they're going to add Kenneth Fareed on the buyout market. I think Daryl Morey is going to work every possible uh, league contraption to add to this team, add one or two more guys. I, I think I think Houston goes again because Harden is playing at that level again. Uh, and, and we just saw uh, with Chris Paul and James Harden healthy, they are capable of mucking up a game, playing iso ball, taking Golden State out of what they do, and and competing with them in a playoff series. They're the only team other than San Antonio for a half that's really given Kevin Durant uh, and, and this Warriors team a go. I, I'm I'm not going to believe in anyone other than Houston until we see it. But how does Boy, the Chris it, Paul thing? It, but how does the Chris Paul thing work when he comes back, though, guys? Because that that's I mean they're going to rely on him again, right? And Harden, I, this stat I saw. And I, I want to give credit uh, for it, but I can't remember who's been posting it. But there's been a running count of unassisted baskets by James Harden. He's, <laughs> okay, he has he's four games now as we speak without an assisted basket. Okay, yep. uh, I mean not one time a cut to the basket, nothing, no spot up shooting. Everything is the ball in his hands for 22 seconds. Okay, and and so I just wonder. When Chris Paul is back, like, is Chris Paul just going to play off the ball all the time? How does that – because I'm with you. I mean, Chris, look, if we're talking about who has a chance – like, if you're going to beat the Warriors, somebody has to be, like, supernova against them, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that that happened with LeBron. It might have happened with Kawhi if he doesn't get hurt, you know, with the Zsa situation, okay, a couple of years ago. So you need somebody to go supernova, okay? So I look at the other teams at the top of the West. I have enormous respect for the Nuggets and what they've done building through the middle. I love Jokic. Uh He's not the guy to do that to the Warriors yet, okay, at this stage. Um, the Trailblazers, we've seen it. Lillard's tried, right, <laughs> like, and, and gotten swept, okay? So it's not going to happen with him. Uh, you go for a little further down, the Spurs, Aldridge has been great. DeRozan, we know playoffs, not going to be him. The Clippers don't have that guy. All right, we'll get to the Lakers in a second. So there's really only two teams. Uh, it's it's the Thunder and it's the Rockets. So it's the two teams that you've mentioned, and it's whether Westbrook or Paul George could do it or it's whether Harden can do it. But I don't know if bringing Chris Paul back helps this team. Like, I at, at this state how do they make that work no I mean but like they figured it out last year like I think you can have two ball handlers and frankly uh, what they did last year was figure out a way for Paul to be on the floor or Harden be on the floor in all 48 minutes and that basically they can figure out how to play together I mean last year in 970 minutes they were plus 251 uh, that wasn't quite working this year but I think that had more to do with defense uh, than with offense but uh, like I, I think they they figured out a way to make you go I go work uh, in a way that a lot of teams just haven't uh, when they've, they put together two ball-handling superstars. I think Houston had a way to work it out last year uh, in a way that worked for them, 
and and lessen the load on Chris Paul a little bit so he can at least survive until game six of the Western Finals before his hamstring exploded. Uh, so I think if they can figure out, uh, it, it's really about a health thing, but uh, if they can figure out how to how to make that work, which they did last year, I I, I, I really believe in them. I, I believe they can be a threat uh, with play, you know playing better defense. Maybe they don't have enough three-point shooting, but I still think they're the biggest threat. I have a question, guys, and I'm trying to figure out if you guys are operating in the dream world here. In what universe does Chris Paul not get hurt? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> That's true. It, it, one in which they don't play a difficult first-round series, one in which he lessens his minutes low. But again, it's still three three rounds of uh, – I mean, there there isn't going to be an easy game in the playoffs. Like, right now the 4-5 is them in Portland. Like, Chris Paul guarding Damian Lillard for 30 minutes a game is not going to be easy work for him. So I, I, I agree with you. I, I, you just don't see a way in which that happens, which uh, given the extension they just signed him to, uh, does not portend well. And, and given – I mean, just historically – I'm trying to think of a player who's been a reasonable facsimile of himself at that position yeah. at age 34. Isaiah mm-hmm. was done. Magic was done. Stockton was on the downside. Steve Nash might be I have a hard time seeing Chris Paul buck history here. Well, no, you're I, right. I, I will, I will say it, it is it, it, done. It, it's, it's happening around sports, though. Like, you know, players who are playing well beyond their age is happening around sports. He's not Tom Brady. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, we, you know, we're seeing it's funny down here because um, things are so bad in South Florida sports right now that in terms of where the teams are, that what's been one of the more remarkable things is all of the old guys who are playing well. Like um, we have Dwayne Wade at 37. We've got Roberto Luongo hasn't been great lately, but at 39, Frank Gore, right at 30, you know, 36, uh, Cameron Wake at 35, 36. So we are seeing it more across sports, but the problem with Chris Paul is 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 twofold, as you mentioned. One, that's not an easy position to play at that age, and two, he's never healthy. Like he's going to, even if he comes back, you're right, he's going to get hurt again, which means Houston needs to add additional pieces. I just wonder with Harden, can he sustain this? Like, I mean, no, can, I mean, can you have a usage rate of forty all the way through the regular season and into the postseason? We saw it with Russ. But I feel like athletically, like Russ is better equipped to do it. Like, can James James Harden's going to do this for four rounds in the postseason? Like, nobody's ever going to pass to him. He's just basically going to dribble the ball down for 22 seconds on every single possession. I guess he rests at the line, right? Like when he's at the line 37 times, um, he can rest there. But that would be uh, my issue but with that's it. Taking a lot of con- but that's taking a lot of body contact, too, when you're getting mm-hmm. fouled. You're getting whacked all over the place. That takes something out of you. And to me, I think he's, I won't say he's wearing down right now, but that's my biggest concern about James Harden, even, you know, going for this MVP. He's not leaving himself anything left in this energy tank for the playoffs. And you can argue that he needs to do this for Houston to get in. But whether it's the usage rate or the, you know, not getting assisted, you know, like he's not taking possessions off. And you're and it's starting the show, and he does like you said athletically. He doesn't look like the most fit guy in the world. He looks closer to a YMCA player than a physical specimen. So I don't see this lasting through two playoff rounds, let alone four. Yeah, that, that that's that's the big challenge with it. All right, last one here for you guys, the Lakers. Um, as we speak here, they're ninth in the West. They're a game behind the Jazz. They're a half game against ahead of the Kings. Uh, two games ahead of the Wolves, who've been through of their own turmoil this season. Does anybody doubt that they're going to make the playoffs? Nah, they'll make it. 
Yeah, I mean, it it depends on it depends on LeBron coming back. I mean, I I don't I don't I don't know because uh, this is really uh, this, we're kind of in uncharted territory because we haven't really seen him miss this amount of time. But uh, to me, the thing like that's most interesting about them right now is that they've they've kind of been in this situation where they've been kind of waiting to cash in all of their young player uh, chips. And all the young player chips have been eroded. Like, if you're the Pelicans and you get an offer with all their young players, do you want that? Not really. Kuzma, maybe. Right. right? But like, but if uh, I if I, mean, I if I just say like you've got you've had three consecutive number two overall picks, and one you traded to Brooklyn almost in a salary dump. Uh, it actually wasn't a salary dump because you got off Mozgov. Um, you have uh, Ball and you have Ingram. So if you threw all of them in a trade, Ingram, Ball, uh, Josh Hart, and Kuzma. If you're the Pelicans, do you want a team that like can't even play functionally without LeBron James as you, the core of your team for the next three years? Like, I I don't know if like the Lakers cashing in all their young players results in anything good for them. They've been rebuilding for th- you know since Kobe retired, and they really don't have a great deal to show for it. Well, this is kind of what David Thorpe said on our pod, which is like the, the unfortunate part of this is that the Lakers are going to get rewarded for incompetence, right? Because he's like, they have not done a great job drafting. I mean, Kuzma was a really good draft pick. Yeah. So, but the others. Hart's uh, a really good draft pick. Hart's a good draft pick. But yeah, but their top end guys have not developed. Mm-hmm. And so you're rewarding them by basically now, you know, LeBron is going to end up probably getting two stars to play with him. But you're right. It's going to be difficult to pry Anthony Davis away with these as as the core pieces, I, I guess, you know, the question is here, how far do the Lakers fall without LeBron and when does he come back? I mean, there's some danger now of LeBron not even playing in the all-star game, which would get a bunch of people to cancel their tickets to Charlotte. But I mean, can they, I don't think they're going to end up a top five seed now. Cause I could see Portland dropping, but it looks to me like the Warriors, the Rockets and the, uh, the thunder and the nuggets are in pretty good shape. And I don't know how the hell pop is doing it again. <laughs> but but uh, what, what was that bet before the season winning him that you took that you said they'd be over 40 what was it 45 um, at the end of that? I, 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 I don't think I, I don't think I bet them but uh, but I, I yeah I, I only ended up betting the heat uh, but uh, yeah I mean I, I, I just don't know what to do with them I, I really don't yeah I, I don't know where they end up but uh, so let's let's take the Lakers with LeBron in a playoff series let's say they end up somewhere between six and eight give me your chances just real quick one to ten. Chances of beating these teams, Warriors, Vinny. No chance at all. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> no chance. All right. Uh, Nuggets. Uh, I would. I would say fifty-fifty. Oh, that, I mean, that, 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 I mean, Denver is just such a better team, but, um, but yeah, I, I think. I mean, you have LeBron. You have a chance. Okay, I, I would actually give him a six out of ten on that. I, I think Denver's going to go through some growing pl- pains in the play. They haven't been in those situations. They're not this group. Uh, before right. and I, I just think you know LeBron will steal one on the road in Denver and the whole thing uh, will flip Thunder. Ooh, that's a tough one because you got Paul George guarding LeBron. Uh, uh, I would say put it like this: I would say six out of ten because I still trust LeBron being the best player in that series. I would say uh, I would say Oklahoma City because because uh, I think uh, you mentioned uh, having the top end talent uh, is is a big part of this. And uh, and I think Oklahoma City has it with Russ and Paul George, uh, who have kind of figured out how to play together as well. Um, if the Lakers have depth issues, so do the Thunder. I don't think that ends up playing a role in the series. Uh, I think Oklahoma City would have a good chance to beat the Lakers. Uh, Portland, I'm I'm going to give the Lakers eight out of ten on that. I I, I don't trust the Blazers. Yeah. In, in, in a playoffs, and I and 
I don't know who guards guards Braun in that series. Like I that after, after what they did against New Orleans last year, I Portland is definitely a team that you you, you have to show me that you're that you're a, you're a decent playoff team because I, I was I was blown away. Like I can't remember too many series results that I've been blown away by. New Orleans sweeping Portland was like what the hell happened to them? Yeah, that that was that was really. We would have thought at least Litter would have still won game. And final one, I don't see this happening because I don't know how high the Rockets can get. But a Houston LA first round series. I go for I'm Houston. definitely taking the Lakers in that one. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm going for Houston. I'm I'm I've I believed uh, now obviously uh they their their run is kind of tailed off a little bit but uh I I just think that Houston's going to get it together I think that uh they they've kind of you know taken the regular season to figure it out in a way that they didn't last year but uh I just believe in Harden and at least for a first round playoff series I definitely believe in Chris Paul to last one round uh so uh, I'll, I'll I'll go for Houston there All right you can I'll, find I'll, 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 Yeah I'm I'm curious about this one guys were you guys not there when James Harden was living on South Beach instead of the NBA Finals in 2012? <laughs> no, I was there. <laughs> I, was, I was there. So, so you're saying they'll and, be and that's the guy you trust over the king? Is this your king? Over the king? I mean, uh, Hard, the, the level that Harden's played at the last year and a half has just been. I mean, as much as I don't, I don't even think it's that fun to watch. It's just you can't help but admire what he does. Like he like firmly cemented himself as the MVP as the MVP favorite for like a two week period with just this ridiculous pattern of play. Like I, I, I do try, like, I think Harden as uh, like in, in playoff terms, it's almost come a little bit underrated because he's had some pretty high profile uh, failures, but I, I, I trust James Harden. Like I trust that he's going to, at least in round one, at least against the Lakers team that uh, you talk about not having that experience. I mean, outside of LeBron, no one on that team has been playoff tested. I mean, outside of Tyson Chandler, but, and JaVale McGee, but I mean, I, th- those aren't the, the the major factors in a series. Also, you have to consider that Lonzo Ball is going to be out for a lengthy period of time. Uh, so I I, I I just think that Houston's better. Oh, I was going to let you disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good way to end with I disagree. All right, you can find him now. He's changed his Twitter handle again at Vince Goodwill. He's a national NBA guy for Yahoo. Thanks for joining us. Check out uh, his work there. Also, as we mentioned, we're going to do a. Uh, a heat episode on the trade machine. We're going to try to grab Evan Cohen for that one. He's kind of a master of the trade machine. He wakes up at like 530 in the morning and is finding <laughs> places to say, send Wayne Ellington. So we'll get to that then. Um, also, if you've checked us out on Dash Radio, we're there every Thursday. Also, there's an episode of Heat Beat that's there every week as well. We'll talk to you soon. for listening to the fire in the pocket thank you so much sick of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.